Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called The Return. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. A lot of years ago, um, uh, a bunch of buddies of mine were planning a fishing trip. Um, the spring salmon were running uh, pretty heavy up the Columbia Gorge, and there were a bunch of guys that were part of our church um, uh, that had never caught a salmon. And in fact, my grandfather and my step-grandmother were in town, and my grandfather had never caught a salmon before. So we planned this huge fishing trip uh, for about, you know, about 25 guys. We got boats. Uh, we got rods. We had to gather rods. I was working for a fishing tackle company at the time, so I supplied gear. Um, it happened to be a pretty busy time of the year for me. Um, and so as we were pulling all the details together, I hadn't had the time necessary uh, to get my own stuff ready. Um, so I got up a little bit early in the morning. We were going to leave the house at 4 a.m. My grandfather, uh, was, I'd meet him in the living room, and it was 3.30ish in the morning. I got up, and I'm pulling my stuff together. I'm getting food and uh, my gear. And, um, and uh, about 15 minutes before we leave, I realized I can't find my fishing license. And so I'm sort of scrambling around the house looking for my fishing license, and um, I, I'm checking coats, I'm checking my car, you know, glove compartment, and finally I, I go into the bedroom, I'm turning lights on, and I'm annoying Trina, because uh, she does not want to be waking up at 3.45 in the morning, we had little kids at the time, um, and I cannot find my, my, my fishing license. I ask her, have you seen my fishing license? And she gives me that look like, why would I know where your fishing license is? <laughs> Um, and it, now it's like 4 a.m. and it's time to head out and meet everybody and go fishing. And so I, I just go, you know, I've done a ton of fishing. I have never had uh, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife come check me on the river. Yeah, you know where this is going. Uh, I, ODFW has never checked me on the river. I mean, I'm just going to go for it. I have a license. It's somewhere. Um, so it's not like I'm like totally breaking the law. It's just a little bit. And I can explain myself as something goes south. So I get my grandfather, and uh, we meet the guys, and we hit the river, and we are having a great time. Guys who have never caught fish before are catching fish. Uh, We're netting them, and it's now mid-morning, and there's a ton of boats out on this river. Um, And I'm looking down the gorge, and I see a pretty big boat coming down the river. And uh, I have just a little bit of a, a little bit of a fear bubble rise in me, like, oh man, I sure hope that's not ODFW. And uh, boats coming closer, I can kind of see a, a kind of a, a larger tower on it that has all the lights that flash. And um, and I was like, oh man, it, it does look like ODFW. And but they run up and down the river all the time. So I'm just I just start praying. Uh, may they run down the river. <laughs> And my prayers are not answered because as they get close to where we're at, they throttle down and the boat just kind of settles in the river and they start going boat by boat checking fishermen uh, for licenses and make sure they're obeying the rules and regulations of this, this salmon season. Now, you can, you know, sound travels on water. So you can hear guys that are, they, they're, they're, they don't have their fishing license and uh, they're complaining as they're getting pretty expensive tickets. And, um, and so that sound is traveling. And one of the guys in my boat goes, man, what kind of fool would come out here without their fishing license? And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. And, but we're, we're trolling, so maybe they'll lose track of us. And I got the motor, so I'm kind of weaving us off some places. 
uh, just trying to stay out of uh, sight. But eventually, they pull over to our boat, and they're going one by one through the boat, getting licenses. They get to me, and um, I, I do my very best to tap dance my way out of the situation, but it's, it's not working too well. Um, I said, you know, I, I have a license. I couldn't find this morning. By the way, you know, you may know me. I, I work in the fishing industry. There's articles I've written. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of in some of those articles. And the guy looks at me and goes, if anyone should know better, it should be you. You should have had your license with me. And I said, I know. And then he writes me this ticket. And on top of that, he not only writes me a ticket, he takes my rod from me, which actually, it's not my rod and reel. It's one of my best friend's rods and reels because we were borrowing rods and reels. And he trusted me with his dad's salmon rod because um, I wouldn't break it or, or lose it. And there it's being taken away. And this fisheries uh, official says, if you'll pr- you stop by the courthouse and you produce a fishing license that's got a date on it that's before today, then you'll get your rod back and we'll tear up that ticket. But if you come down and you try and get your rod back and you don't have a fishing license, you're going to be in worse trouble. All the guys in my boat are looking at me like, I can't believe it. You didn't have your fishing license. I'm, guys, I have a fishing license. I couldn't find my fishing license. And just, just so you're at rest, I did find my fishing license. I got the rod back. I tore the ticket up. But man, there's just nothing worse than finding yourself in a situation where you're not prepared and you just weren't ready. And it can be, it can be embarrassing. And, and in reality, there were two types of people on the river that day. There were, there were people that were prepared, they planned ahead, they were ready for every detail of that fishing trip. And then there were the rest of us, the, the, those of us who wish we were ready, wish we were prepared. Um, and, uh, and, and that's kind of true about life. I mean, if, if you're sitting in a high school class and it's exam time or a college class and it's exam time, there's two types of people uh, when, when you're taking the exam. There's those who have studied and they're ready. And then there's the rest who are looking at the questions, reading the questions, and those who wished that they had studied and uh, had prepared and were ready. Or, or maybe it's even, uh, maybe it's an emergency situation and someone needs CPR and someone jumps in because they're prepared and you are glad that there's someone who is ready. And then maybe because of that, there's others uh, who are like, wish that they knew how to step in and, and help save a life. Maybe it's a driving test. Uh, you're behind the wheel and you've got the DMV uh, uh, employees with you and, and maybe you're ready and maybe you wish you were ready. Um, life presents all kinds of circumstances to us, and, uh, and I just want to talk about the return. We've been in this for about three weeks now. I want, I want to talk about what it looks like to be ready, and I'm just telling you right up front, when it comes to the return of Christ, there's two types of people, those who are ready and those who are wish they were ready. We began this conversation a couple weeks ago by looking at a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. And in that conversation, what we've discovered, what we've seen is that, you know, uh, we don't talk much about the second coming of Christ much these days. There's reasons for that. Uh, some of the reasons are there's, there's these people who set dates and they rent billboard space and they say, Jesus is coming back on this date and then Jesus doesn't come back. And then there's the other folks who you've heard me say have, it seems like they, you know, the only people who talk about the return are folks who have fallen out of the crazy tree and hit every branch on the way down the ground. And so they're just sort of fanatical. And then you have the, all this date you know, guessing. And, and so we just stay silent about the return of Christ, which is, is really a stark, stark contrast to the message of the New Testament. Because the return of Christ 
Uh, the second coming of Christ, the, the second advent of Jesus, is not a peripheral message in the New Testament. It is front and center in the New Testament. 25 of the 27 books in the New Testament make some mention of the return of Christ. Uh, it's a primary message. It's a message of hope. It's not a message of fear. And last week, we, we talked about the fact that half of the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. So we looked at the signs of Christ's return. Jesus lays out the signs. Here's the signals where you'll know that my return is, is about to happen. And it's, it's good to know those signals, but perhaps even more important, it's, it's better to know the right response to those, those signs. And we talked about, about you know, ignoring the false, these claims of false messiahs. And we, we talked about keeping our own hearts hot. Um, that that is a, that's, a, that's a way to, to prepare. And, and today, what you're going to see as we talk about being ready for the return is Jesus, with crystal clear clarity, he is just going to put it out there and say, this is what it looks like to be ready. He's going to tell four stories and four parables and then give a description of the final judgment. Um, and that, that description of the final judgment sometimes is called the parable of the sheep and the goats, but it's actually not a parable. Jesus is describing what that final judgment is going to look like. He uses a simile about how the separation happens, but it's not a parable. He's describing that day. And even before we go, what we're going to do is we're going to look, quickly look at each, each story. We don't have time to read each and every story. And I would strongly urge you to read Matthew 24 and 25 uh, on your own. That'd be really important because we're talking about being ready. And when Jesus comes back, there's two types of people, those who are ready and those who wish they were. And so you need to read these stories uh, as I refer to them today. But what I want to do, I want to start in a place because uh, I want you to, you know, I want you to hear the seriousness of, of not being ready. You know, if it's taking a test and you don't do so well on the test, okay, it's a lower grade than you expected, you're probably going to live with it. Uh, you know, if it's, you didn't pass your driver's test, you got to take it again, okay, it might be a little bit more expense, a little more cost, um, but, you know, that's doable. But when the return of Christ, what Jesus, how he describes what happens to those who aren't ready, it's, it's just really sobering. It's, it's just, I mean, it's fairly significantly heavy. I mean, listen to how he ends on, on four of these situations. Matthew 24, he says, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Matthew 25, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The other five stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And again, take this money from this servant and throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And at the end of what's referred to as the parable of the sheep and the goats, it ends by saying, and they will go away into eternal punishment. So there, this is really significantly important that you understand what it looks like to be ready. Uh, years ago, I was in seventh grade um, boarding school. They showed this movie at our, at our Christian boarding school. It was called Thief in the Night. Uh, it was this movie. Some of you have seen it. There's this movie that uh, kind of sort of depicts the, tri the tribulation and the rapture. Now, we're, in this series, we're not talking about the rapture, but that's the moment when the church is called up to be with Christ. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot of theories about that and... 
But this movie was sort of centered on the fact that there's this, it begins with a scene of a woman in bed, and you could hear her husband's electric shaver as he's shaving in, in the bathroom. Uh, she's a, not a believer. He is a believer. And um, she's calling out his name, and he's not responding, and she's getting a little bit like curious, maybe even a little bit irritated. And so she gets out of bed. She walks into the bathroom, and she is stunned to see this electric razor sort of bouncing its way around in this porcelain sink. And then you know from the very beginning of the movie that she has been left behind, her husband has been taken up. Um, I watched that movie as a seventh grader and it traumatized me. Uh, I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if the rapture comes back, am I, man, do I have what it takes? And I remember going home like on summer vacations and I'd walk into the apartment after being out in, in Hong Kong for the day and I'd expect my parents to be home and they weren't home. And so I call it their names and I call my brother and sister's names looking for them and they weren't there. And this fear and panic would overwhelm me because I would think that I had been left behind. In some cases, I got tears coming down my cheeks, and then dad walks in the door, and uh, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> go, go to the grocery store. Mom's to buy the produce. I turn around, and I'm looking at some candy or something. I turn back around. You know, I'm 13-ish years old, and, and mom's not there, and I'm scouring down the aisles looking for mom, and, and, and I... It, this only means one thing. Jesus has raptured his church, and I'm not part of the whole deal. Um, and, and then I see mom buying milk, and I'm just you know, utter relief. I even had a dream. Uh, this, this whole thing, I'm telling you, this movie traumatized me. I'm still getting over it. Don't watch that movie, okay? Uh, it, it, I had this dream in which the rapture was happening, and people were sort of slowly defying gravity and going up to be with Jesus. And I was, I was just euphoric in my dream because my feet were coming off the ground and I was slowly going up. And I was like, yes, I can see people up in the clouds and, and I'm, I'm slowly going up. And, and then I got caught in the branches of a fruit tree right outside my room. <laughs> and I'm trying to get out. I can't get out and I wake up and I'm in this cold sweat. Uh, man, that's just the worst feeling in the world. Um, and, and, and I'm sharing that with you because when we talk about signs and we talk about being ready, the goal of the conversation is not to just throw us in a panic. The, the goal of the conversation about the return is not to just scare us to death and give us nightmares. The goal of having the conversation is to understand that this is our blessed hope, that this is not home. So we're not going to invest here. What we want to do is we want to live a life that's, that, that is pointed and aiming at our eternal or our, our everlasting uh, life with Christ in, in heaven. And, and so that's the purpose of the conversation. It's not to scare you. I mean, I, I will say this. The beginning point of readiness is the cross. So if you, are, if, if you haven't been reconciled to the Father then I just want, I want you to know, you can interrupt this service right now. You can walk right over here, take a white ribbon, write your name on it, pound that nail on the cross, and begin that friendship with God. That is the beginning point of being ready. But it, it, it isn't just saying, what, check that box, now I can live however I want. Because once you've tasted salvation, what it does is it calls something out of you. And that's what Jesus is really getting at here. So what I want to do is just remind us that you know, there's two types of people when Jesus returned. There's the, the type of person who's ready, and then there's all those who wish they were ready. 
And Jesus, as he tells these stories, I'm just gonna walk right through it really quickly um, in Matthew 24 and 25. You can take the Pew Bible in front of you and, and follow along with me. It's a Bible, looks just like this one. If you go to page 1560, you'll find where I'm reading. Um, and, uh, and maybe you know, even getting on the page, you just don't know how to navigate through your Bible. Go to the column on the right, go all the way to the top. You'll see a number, little number 43. That means verse 43. And that's where I'm going to start reading here uh, in a second as you find your way there. Uh, And this is a little short story as Jesus describes ready people. First, he says, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Short story about a homeowner who knows the exact time when a burglar is going to come. Maybe it's 2 a.m. That, that homeowner is going to make sure that the defenses are up, that he's called friends, maybe even called the police because a robber is coming, a burglar is coming. And if you knew a robber was coming and did nothing, that, I mean, that, would, that wouldn't seem to make sense. So what Jesus is getting at here is, is simply this. Ready people are alert and aren't surprised by the return. And really, that's why we're having this conversation. That's why we're talking about the return of Christ. So the whole concept of the second coming isn't a surprise to you. Jesus is coming back. He's returning to take us home with him. So part of being ready is just understanding that and being alert. Second story is in verse 45. It follows that story that Jesus just told. This is the parable of a faithful and sensible servant. A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns, of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's what Jesus is getting at. Second thing you need to know. Ready people know they will give an account someday, and they live accordingly. First one is simply being alert and knowing that, that the return of Christ is coming. And, and the second one is simply because Jesus is coming back, we do, as Eugene Peterson, pastor and author, puts, it's a long obedience in the same direction. We just live accordingly. We understand that he's coming back. So it, it, it impacts the choices, the daily choices that we make, which then leads us to the third story. It's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Now, uh, I'm not going to have a chance to read this whole story, but this is the, the, the context of weddings, the customs of wedding in, in, in Jesus' day, vastly different from, uh, from ours. When a, when a man would come to a woman and, and, and get engaged, it was called betrothal, he would then leave, and his wife-to-be would have no idea when the wedding day was. So there's no announcements mailed out to relatives. Um, he's going to prepare a place for his bride, And he's going to return, and he'll make an announcement when he returns. The bride-to-be has an idea of the time uh, range of of the return, um, but she doesn't know the day. So she's always living in a state of readiness, always prepared. 
Um, and in this story uh, that I'm not going to have a chance to read, there's 10 bridesmaids that go with the wedding party, and five of them are prepared. They have lamps with, with oil in them uh, because the, the bridegroom is going to come back at night. The, the other five don't have oil. And when, uh, when the bridegroom comes, uh, the five who are ready are ready to go, but the five who aren't ready are saying, hey, share some of your oil. And, and what they basically say is that, well, we can't share oil with you because then we won't have enough for ourselves. And so the five then run to the store to buy their oil. But when they get back, they realize the wedding party has happened. They're in the marriage feast. And that was the verse we read where the doors have been shut, the doors have been locked, and they're crying out, Lord, Lord, let us in. And Jesus responds by saying, I never knew you. I don't even know who you are. And what Jesus is getting at here in this third story is this. Ready people understand that readiness is not something that can be achieved with a last-minute adjustment. This isn't about hearing a trumpet and saying, oh, man, I, I, I got to get ready. This, again, is about a long obedience in the same direction. This is about being absolutely prepared and ready. So when that happens, it's a lifelong lifestyle of following after Christ. And um, it, it's, it's such a significant thing to understand that, that, that that's, it's, it's not these last-minute adjustments. Let me get another story. Uh, and the story is that the parable of the three servants. Uh, the parable of the three servants is that they have been entrusted with resources. Time, money, spiritual gifts, um, all, those, all those kinds of resources. And to varying degrees that people have been entrusted with these resources. So it's not to say how much. It's, uh, it's, it's what you're going to do with what Christ has entrusted you with. Way to go. Way to go. Such a huge step. That took guts and courage. And uh, we just, we're, just, we're just blessed. Thank you for sharing that moment with us. That's so powerful for us. Um, and I just bless you with joy and that new friendship with Christ. So you, so you got these servants, and they've been entrusted with resources. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes what we think faithfulness looks like is sort of holding the fort down. Man, if I can just, just hold the fort down and just sort of not mess up um, before Christ returns, then that'll be good. Well, this story actually challenges that sort of idea of faithfulness. What Jesus is going to point out in this story is that faithfulness is not separate from fruitfulness. See, these, these, these resources have been entrusted, but when the master comes back in the story, you need to read the story. When the master returns back, he goes to the one that he gave five you know, giant bags of resources to and said, you know, what'd you do with it? And he, the guy said, I doubled it. And he says, fantastic, you know, well done. The one he gave two bags of silver in the New Living Translation, as it puts it, you know, doubled it as four and well done. And he goes to the one who had one, the least amount of resources. You know, Tell me what you've done with the resources, the, the things I've invested in you. And this, this one guy says, well, I just knew you're tough and you're hard. And so what I did is I just, man, I buried it. I did nothing with it. Now, listen to the words that Jesus says to this individual. Verse 28 of chapter 25, Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. Those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Here, here's the description that Jesus has given to us. Ready people are responsible and realize their servants commissioned to improve the master's assets. So he, Jesus is building this, this filter, so to speak. This is what it looks like to be ready for the return. There's gonna be two types of people when Jesus returns. People who are ready and people who wish they were. And with great clarity, Jesus is just laying it out in everyday terms of what it looks like to be ready. Last uh, thing that he says, this one is not a parable. I just want to read some of this. It's sometimes referred to as the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, verse 31 says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as, she- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right, and, at right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And church, I don't believe this is an exhaustive list of what it looks like uh, to, to serve uh, in, in, these, in these powerful ways. I think it's people, see, people who love God love like God. People who love Jesus love like Jesus. And so he said, you could, you could also say, you know, you, I was a shut-in and you visited me. I was, I was elderly and you cared for me. I was your neighbor and you paid my rent. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a confined list. It can look like a bunch of different things. But really what it is is people who love God, who love, not only love God, but love like God. And then listen to what Jesus says. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one, of the, one, one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is what Jesus is getting at. Ready people are so transformed by the gospel that they unconsciously serve and love each other in self-sacrificing ways. It's just natural. So you need to understand this. Heaven is going to be full of people who love Jesus and who love like Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus and you don't like, if you don't love like Jesus, he's not gonna let you mess it up. So, it's one thing to say you love God, but what Jesus is getting at is that, that, that the gospel has so transformed you that you love like God. And, and, and where this leads us is we have this, this description of what ready people look like. And so what do we do with it? Well, what we do with it is we just run our lives through this filter. And by the way, that last one, people so trans- transformed by the gospel, this is not for salvation. We're not serving and we're not feeding, we're not clothing to get salvation. That's all a response because of salvation. But we need to run our lives through this, this filter, not to scare us, not to make us panic, but frankly, what we could do is we could take each of these five things and turn them into prayer requests. God, would you so transform me by your power, by your, by your spirit's power, that I unconsciously serve people, that I love Jesus, I love people like you love them, Jesus. You could turn each one of those things into a, to a prayer request. 
And it's all about readying yourself for the return because at the return, there'll be two types of people. Those who are ready and those who wish they were. I just want to wrap up by reading you a letter. Um, it's, it's Father's Day, and I, I just want you to hear the heart of a letter. I have permission from his dad uh, to read a letter, a letter he wrote um, to um, one of his sons and, um, and just sort of tucked it away in, in, uh, in their bag because they were leaving home. Now, li- listen to these words from a dad to his son. He says, you're leaving home. I remember sitting down and writing uh, your brother a letter when he left. I I can't believe you're headed off as well. From my perspective, it's pretty hard to believe. It seems like yesterday, you and I were wrestling on the living room floor. I was walking you to school, teaching how to drive, and going to Disney World together. Remember your tiny little room in the apartment and how we played video games underneath your loft bed? I've had your lifetime to prepare for this, and sometimes I was hoping this day would never come. Most of the time, though, I have been preparing myself and preparing you by madly gathering life's questions and answers in the hope I haven't forgotten anything. I keep revising the list in my head, checking off all the things I know I've already told you so many times, but I don't need to tell you anymore because you're ready. You've got freedom, independence, and adventure ahead of you, and the wind is at your back. I need, to know, I need you to know how much I respect you. You've become a true man. A lot of guys think they're a man, but they're not. They've got the body of a man, but it takes more than physical stature to make a man. You need heart. I'm not just talking about passion, tenacity, or emotion. I'm talking about the kind of heart that knows the value of honor, integrity, and character. There are very few men today, but you truly are a man. I've watched you deal with adversity. I've observed you make choices in the face of temptation, even when you didn't know I was watching. I share with you my own failures in the hope that you would not be ashamed when you did make a mistake. You've got what it takes. You have heart. I believe in you. And I'll just jump to the end of the letter. It says, I can't begin to tell you how much I respect you and love you. You have made me very proud. You have my blessing. Sorry for all the rambling, but I just want you to know you're loved by your dad. I will miss you. You are ready for what's next. Can you imagine what that would feel like to hear that from your dad? You see, some of you didn't hear that from your dad. But you're going to hear that from your dad. You're going to hear that from your dad as you ready yourself for the return. Now, imagine homes in which that kind of readiness, that kind of love is being experienced. Imagine neighborhoods, the impact of it. Imagine a church full of people who are prepared and ready for, for what Christ it wants to accomplish in them and through them for eternity. Imagine what kind of impact a family could have on a city if they were prepared for the return. Imagine this, the sense of influence. Imagine the, the possibilities of a collective family readying themselves for the return. And just think about not only what would be accomplished, but think about how much that pleases the dad heart of God. And church, that's why we're having this conversation so that we'll be a ready people. Not so that we'll be a scared people. So that we'll be a ready people for all that lies ahead of us. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, even today, we give you thanks 
for what you're doing among us. We give you thanks for the things that you're saying to us. Lord, now, as we work through that list, um, there's, maybe there's some in the room who look at that list and they're already starting to do the self-talk to themselves or condemning themselves because they see themselves not measuring up. Now, would, you, would you just silence the voice of condemnation? That's not your voice. Would you allow us to hear the voice of invitation to go deeper, to go farther? Would you, by your spirit, empower each and every one of us to live a life in such a way that we will be absolutely ready for your return? I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.